This is Energy Voice Out Loud, deleting the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas and welcome to our podcast. I'm joined this week by our Africa and LNG editor Ed Reid and joining us for the first time, as, as far as I can recall, from the UK, our Asia-Pacific editor, uh, Damon Evans. Damon, how are you? Why are you here? Good morning, Alistair. Well, I'm here to see my parents, first time travelling since the whole Covid business and uh, enjoying the weather. I don't know what I don't know what it's all about. We all complained about the weather for so long here. Yeah? I even got burnt yesterday. The only person enjoying this weather, surely. <laughs> I, I had a couple of days off the start of the week, and it was beautiful weather in Aberdeen. And we only get maybe two days an entire year, so I, I think I took them. Uh, and I literally, literally, it's gotten worse up here. But, but yeah, fantastic to have everyone uh, here in in uh, on, on our bonny shores. So uh, so superb and. Um, well, I think I think we'll stay with Mr. Evans here, and I'm sure everyone has missed his uh, dulcet tones the past couple of weeks. So uh, let's kick off with Damon. Damon, some uh, big plays potentially being opened up in in Indonesia. Yeah, this week uh, London listed Harbour Energy announced they've had some initial successes at a deep water well off um, Sumatra in Indonesia. I think it's probably one of the first deep water wells drilled in the past few years. Uh, COVID held up. Um, a lot of exploration drilling that was fa- that was planned, and uh, Harbour said they hit a 390-foot gas column, and um, the well flowed on test at 27 million cubic feet per day of gas, and 1,884 barrels of oil per day of uh, condensate. So really good news. Uh, Indonesian government really needs this kind of boost, and it might encourage more EMP operators to look at Indonesia's deep waters. Um, Interestingly, the region is uh, largely undrilled, so there's potential for big gas discoveries there. Harbour Energy late last year was saying the, this, this particular well, the Timpan 1, was targeting 300 million barrels of oil equivalent and was expected to be gas prone, which, which it was, which they, they've proven. And, and the gross play potential is up to 12 trillion cubic feet and 400 million barrels of condensate. So the potential is huge. Um, now, they've even got ahead of themselves and they've identified potential commercialization paths with first gas uh, possible by 2026. And there's even options for carbon capture and storage nearby as the there's some old LNG infrastructure at Arun, uh, which is not too far away, which could be used to either monetize the gas, but also there are big depleted fields nearby where the carbon dioxide or emissions from any potential development could be stored. Um, so, so they're quite optimistic about that, and I think the well was dil- drilled in about fifteen hundred, twelve hundred meters of water, and the drill ship, the West Capella, is now moved on to another nearby well, which is being drilled by Repsol and Petronas. They are drilling the much-anticipated Renchong One X exploration well, also in the North Sumatra Basin. So, a lot of excitement over there. The government is very excited over there. Um, I think Harbour is, you know, obviously chuffed. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's great news for Indonesia. After I think I don't think we've had such positive news on this podcast about Indonesia for a, for a very long time. Yeah. And we've also had um, recently BP sign up for some deep water exploration permits in Indonesia. And yeah, great news. And we've also uh, another interesting tidbit: Total Energy's just signed up to do some exploration for a big gas prospect of Papua New Guinea so 
yeah, it's kind kind of interesting. Things are starting to pick up over here. Well, over there, I should say. Yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we are happy to have you. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I guess from my perspective, obviously, Harbour Energy is, is such a, well, for the North Sea, it's a very big player, uh, an independent, but, uh, you know, a relatively large player here. Uh, and I think it's fair to say they have been historically quite focused on the UK. I, I don't think that's controversial to say at all, but they have been playing up areas like Indonesia. Uh, and yeah, looking at these... Uh, these numbers, if if proven, um, yeah, you'd, you'd expect India might play a much bigger role for them going forward. I mean, I, I think I'm looking at, what, 300 million barrels of oil equivalent, potentially, if if they can get this this going. There's potential for that kind of, of figures, if, if this is indeed as big as it looks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think um, I think there's, there's this kind of, I think the geology, you know, I'm not a geologist, but the geology stretches from North Sumatra all the way up to the Gulf of Mataban. If I'm saying that correctly, near Myanmar, where you have big gas fields, Yetagun, and, and we've spoken about them before, and so there's potential for that those kind of big fields, offshore, northern Sumatra and in Indonesia. Um, I think the the biggest risks is going to be whether the reservoir quality is is right and good. I mean, this this is not commercial yet, but hopefully it will be, and um, yeah, so. Yeah, huge potential, as you say. In in terms of sort of development, I mean, you you, you mentioned sort of uh, LNG facilities. Obviously, you know, Indonesia's got sort of history in in that regard. Do you think Do you think that it would go for liquefaction and then export into sort of the Asian market, or or is it a sort of a local consumption play? Well, I think that would be a, a negotiation with the Indonesian government. They're of course quite keen to use gas domestically these days, but also you know it's a deep water development. What will be the local gas price? I think gas prices in Indonesia at the moment about six dollars per million per million British thermal units. Um, I expect if it's such a big discovery, there would be some sort of combination of export some of the gas, use some for the local market. Um, but you know, SKK Migas, the upstream regulator, that they're, they're really keen to to see these kind of developments and more exploration happening. And uh, we spoke with the the head of the. SKK Migas a couple of weeks ago at a conference and, and he's quite open and quite flexible and they look really willing to try and work with operators so so yeah I've, I, who, hard to say at this point but I think they're open to negotiations and in terms of sort of future growth i mean i think you know you you mentioned obviously there's a kind of a number of kind of companies working in in that sort of area do you think that that harbor would it would it uh look to expand its footprint or is it uh has it it got enough on its license to be kind of getting on well i think it's got enough work there and it's also got some other projects on the other side of Indonesia, closer to the border with Vietnam, and it's developing, I think, in its tuna block over there, which we featured in the news because of the, the disputes with China and the Chinese incursions trying to claim territory. So I think, you know, and originally Harbour Energy acquired Premier Oil, which had the assets in Indonesia, so it's Premier Oil's business. So they have quite an established business there. Um, but Mubadala Petroleum... They are also a partner in this particular block and the Timpan One exploration well. And uh, they put out a statement yesterday saying they're quite confident and optimistic from these results because they've got another two blocks around this particular block. So we could see more more investment or more action from them in the surrounding area. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what the what the next stage is and, and, and whether it's commercial. And also the results of the next well being drilled nearby by Petronas and Repsol. I mean, if that's a 
a positive result, then we're going to see it. I would imagine we'd see a lot of excitement. And, and in terms of sort of developing this, I mean, would it be, I mean, is there is there grounds in Indonesia for like a joint development? I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of relatively deep water. Could they, could, could they sort of link up and, and sort of, you know, do a sort of a joint LNG local consumption sort of a play? Or, or, or is it sufficiently big that they might go it alone? I mean, I guess this is kind of uh, obviously speculation at this point. That's what this podcast is for. <laughs> they, they seem to be working together already, sharing the drill ship. So they're already cooperating. Um, I, I would imagine there would be room for potential joint development. It, you know, it, it would make sense. And in these days... You know, presumably they would all want to share a common CCS kind of hub, which would perhaps be developed near Arun. I think Arun is also facilitated to to, to export gas within the local markets. I'm not, not totally sure on that, but Indonesia did start reconfiguring its export LNG infrastructure to, to supply the domestic markets. So I think there's a lot of interesting pieces of the jigsaw there. I'd like to think they'd work together. I mean, I think we're past those days of as I'm sure you remember in Queensland in Australia when they all started building separate LNG plants and, and it ended up costing a fortune and, and wasn't overly successful, I think. So, yeah, optimistic about joint development. Superb. But let's wait and see what the next wealth shows up. <laughs> look at that. Look at that. There's another another way to tail off. I don't I don't know it. So we'll, we'll have that. Thank you, uh, Damon. We'll uh, watch that closely. So talking of big plays opening up, next up it's, well, 600 million barrels in Nigeria and Ed's been looking at cleaning up well, who owns it? Energy Voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy, helping sector leaders understand the geopolitical and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports and additional content, free access to the Energy Voice Live app featuring a personalized feed and priority access to Energy Voice events. For a 30-day free trial subscription to the Energy Voice website and app, visit energyvoice.com slash subscriptions. Join the global energy conversation with Energy Voice. Ed, who owns it? That's maybe a bit coy of me, but yeah, tell us what's been happening with this uh, San Leon Energy. Sure. So uh, San Leon is a, is, a, is a company that's sort of been a, been around for a bit, and and but has really seemed to seem to have found a bit of a niche in in Nigeria, where it's uh, working uh, at, a, at a at a big license uh, OML eighteen that was owned by Shell until about 2015, 2016, something like that, when um, some some local players bought Shell out in the way that obviously we're seeing a lot of those sorts of deals in Nigeria where the big IOCs are leaving the sort of the onshore Niger Delta because it's a bit too hairy, right? Uh, you know, it's 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 dangerous. People steal your oil. Um, it's a it's a it's a tough uh, locale. So, but there's been this move to sort of uh, indigenous companies to local companies, and um, San Leon came in and, and and was able to sort of strike a deal with one of these local companies and uh, provided some financing and uh, has, has helped this kind of company kind of get going. And uh, and then I think it was last year they announced this deal to uh, essentially kind of clean up this kind of incredibly complicated corporate structure um, and, and and make it a bit sort of simpler and you know buy out some some partners and sort of incorporate various bits. So they've gone from this sort of ten um, percent sort of indirect stake to what will be something like a forty four percent indirect stake in OML eighteen, um, and in exchange for that they're 
partner is going to end up with about 55% of San Leon. It's, uh, I, I, I had to get a number of people to talk me through this deal and the ways in which the various uh, numbers work. There is just sometimes, you know, when you, when, when, when you look at something and you, you read something on the page and you're just like, I have absolutely no clue how this works. And, all and too well, like, you know, all too well. It's a daily thing for me. Yeah. yeah, and you just end up saying to like, so the CEO or whatever, how does this work? Explain it to me like the idiot that I am, please. I don't understand. Um, so so, 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 very kindly, the CEO taught, taught me through it and sort of set out the plans. So the, the, the hope is that uh, now the deal will close by the end of the year. Obviously, in Nigeria, it's rash to make predictions. Um, there's a, 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 a deal that closed this week. It took, I think, uh, nearly three years to close. So, uh, you know, with 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 uh, approval from the from the regulator, taking about two years. So. Uh, who knows? Who knows how well that's going to go? But obviously, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a it was a very you know bullish tone uh, from 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 Mr. Fanning. So yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it seems like things are kind of you know looking up. And as you as you mentioned, though, there is there is massive potential as, as there is in a lot of these sort of you know mature blocks. Um, mm. You know, uh, so he was he was saying that uh, that, that Shell had, had had not really pushed uh, it as, as as far as they could. Um, you know, they, they were only kind of really producing from 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 one uh, one formation, and there were a number of additional steps that uh, that that San Leon and its partners could take. So there's clearly kind of potential for more. So um, it had been producing in 2020 about 40,000 barrels per day, and that fell uh, dramatically. Uh, to about four thousand barrels per day in uh, in, in 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 last year, um, largely because uh, the high level of theft. Mm. Um, so 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 losses on this pipeline was something like seventy six percent, and that was sort of uh, and, and theft uh, was about forty percent of 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 the of the total flows going through the pipeline. So I mean, it's it's obviously an incredibly sophisticated uh, theft, sabotage, bu- illegal bunkering, however you might want to call it, uh, kind of a program that has been going on on this on this massive pipeline. That again, uh, you know, San Leon hopes to hopes to turn around. So they've been building a, a, an alternative pipeline that's going to go down a river. Uh, so they they say it's going to be a lot safer, a lot more. Uh, Theft prone, I suppose. Uh, uh, essentially, the, the you know the, the improved relations with communities, um, you know, so they're sort of saying all the right things, mm. and you know, and, and it's that you know the the, the the question that I always like to ask is, you know, what, what you know if we if we speak in a year's time, we you know what are you what are you going to be producing? And and he said, you know, eighty thousand barrels per day. Uh, so who knows, right? It's a, it's a, it's a big shout, um, but there, there is obviously real potential. Obviously, you know, there's a number of sort of, you know, pitfalls along the way, uh, you know, Nigerian government approval, can they, you know, sort of, you know, solve this theft problem, but clearly real sort of potential to scale up and assuming they can, you know, sort of get sort of, you know, financing away and, you know, that all kind of comes together. Clearly, big potential. So, yeah, another an- another another reason to, to to look beyond the North Sea. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I mean, yeah. Once you once you kind of peel back the corporate, uh, oh, corporate BS, I guess uh, you've got quite an interesting kind of uh, narrative going there. I mean, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, if if it's if it's too hot for Shell, uh, I mean, are investors going to be put off by these various pitfalls? I mean, the the new pipeline that sounds good, but it also sounds 
pretty damn costly as well. So yeah, curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean I think this is this is the big question, isn't it? I mean I think you know obviously the oil industry is in a, an entirely different place than it was you know twelve months ago, even six months ago. I mean I think obviously oil at around a hundred dollars a barrel really kind of makes people reconsider some of these some of these proposals. But that said, obviously you know banks don't want to get involved. You know ESG criteria obviously. Does throw up some 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 pitfalls around investing in oil, doesn't it? So, and particularly oil in challenging uh, neighbourhoods like uh, like like Nigeria. So, I think you know it was it's it's kind of clear that it's it's a it's a much tougher conversation. The number of European banks, UK banks, who are willing to to kind of work on on these kind of deals is much smaller. Um, and and so I mean I think it was one of the kind of the the interesting points that that uh, that the CEO raised was they're looking they're looking elsewhere and I think you know he he mentioned in particular the UAE Abu Dhabi as as being a sort of a source of uh, sort of you know interim funds and 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 sort of raised this sort of you know proposal of a sort of a secondary listing in in Abu Dhabi. Mm. You know, talking about you know the excess pots of cash in in that sort of neck of the woods. Looking for looking looking for uh, looking for a home, and 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 clearly also a much higher tolerance for, you know, the risks around oil, around around carbon emissions, around around Africa, frankly, around Nigeria. So, I think it's uh, it's, it's it's interesting that the world is is sort of shifting, isn't it? And given that the world will still need however many you know millions of barrels per day in 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 the future, where is the money for that going to come from? If it's not going to come from from Europe, from from the UK, there are there are other locations. There are you know the Middle East. There's there's Asia. I mean North America even. So who knows? It's uh, yeah. The, the the world is is kind of changing. And even while some may not look for look 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 for those investments, there are others who who, who are keen to get a bit. Yeah, I mean and part part of this was really about them avoiding the termination of their listing on on the AIM in London, wasn't it? So I mean it's just it's just curious to see like. To, to what extent are people going to want to remain on the the UK markets when they have, as as you say, these these investors that might be more uh, willing and able um, in other parts of the world, and and what role will uh, the UK markets play in 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 helping these kind of developments going forward? It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But yeah, it's 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 a really it's a really um, quite interesting narrative. Again, we have this situation where we have an o- OML eighteen. Like, what's what's that in a name? Let's find something better. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll have words with uh, with with the Nigerians <laughs> and, and tell them to to figure it out. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Top priority. I mean, I think yeah, you know, something's going to be done. But I suppose it's the thing, isn't it? Like, I mean, even you know, though, even though sort of banks are sort of skeptical, you know, there are. I mean, I think you know, so you know, there are retail investors, aren't there? There are oil traders. I mean, so I think there is. I mean, it's kind of like a complicated narrative where I think banks have made that sort of commitment, but have have others kind of followed through? I don't. I don't know. Indeed, indeed. Okay. Well, uh, I think we will follow the the story of OML eighteen uh, closely and see how see if uh, San Leon are indeed at that eighty thousand a day. Uh, Mark uh, in in a year's time. Uh, Next up, we'll be going over to the North Sea and do some takeover talk with uh, Serka Energy and Kistos. Energy Voice presents Future Offshore, a free hybrid event at the Chester Hotel Aberdeen on Thursday the 25th of August 2022. As the transition gathers pace, join me, Alistair Thomas, and the industry leaders to shape the offshore agenda for the North Sea ahead of ONS 2022 in Stavanger. 
The event will feature three sessions. The first is on energy security. The energy industry must meet critical production targets whilst making the transition. As a tough winter approaches, what are the options? Session 2 looks at the North Sea as an energy transition frontier, exploring decarbonisation in the UKCS and Norway, where are comparisons appropriate and what can each learn from the other. Finally, Session 3 tackles the skills transition, what steps are required to reach the jobs and investment levels to ensure longevity of the offshore industry. In-person tickets are limited, but whether you want to join us virtually or physically at the Chester Hotel on 25th of August 2022, you can register free at future-offshore.co.uk. Okay, so this is in the the UK North Sea. It is still quite a developing story at the risk of uh, us having another situation where we do a live reaction to uh, something going on like last week with Boris resigning and all the rest of it. But uh, yeah, perhaps not quite as high profile. Um, So we've got an independent uh, called Kistos that's led by the prolific dealmaker Andrew Austin. Uh, which has made an impressive-sounding £1 billion cash and shares offer for a larger rival called Serica Energy. Serica's pretty well known in the North Sea. Um, Serica has rejected this, so they made a counter-bid, and guess what? That was also uh, rejected. So um, quite a lot of facets to this, um, but quite simply, you've got two companies here that seem to want to make a deal, but can't seem to agree on how to do it. And I've seen some investors say this is a bit of a kind of handbags at dawn, uh, and perhaps there's an element of that. But um, some pluses and minuses to both, I think. So yeah, I won't get into the minutia of these bids other than to say one of the main problems for Serica, as they say, Kistos is undervaluing them. Um, and in the return kind of counteroffer, Kistos said something similar. Uh, and they've got problems as well. I think Serica's plan would not see any of the members of Kistos's board retained on the board. Um, so maybe I'll start with Serica. You've got uh, a respected uh, independent operator, took some aging assets from BP and others, and they built up a pretty solid business in the North Sea. Uh, strong profits, no debt, sitting on a wad of cash. They're a majority gas portfolio, so that's you know, obviously playing well for them in the market right now. Eventually, though, they do need to grow, and to grow... They, need, they kind of need to make a deal. And Serac has talked about doing a deal for years, but it hasn't happened for one reason or the other. They do need to acquire assets. There are some promising um, near-field exploration targets for them. Um, but really, you know, eventually they will need to buy more assets sooner or later to grow, and, and they have acknowledged that. On the other hand, you've got Kistos, as I said, led by Andrew Austin, a serial kind of dealmaker in the North Sea. He launched Kistos in 2020. His previous venture, Rockrose Energy, was sold for £250 million that year. He was a major shareholder, pocketed something in the region of £66 million, it's been reported from that personally. So, you know... Austin he kind of built up Rockrose through many deals uh, until a fairly sizable portfolio was there. Um, There's a couple of, of roadblocks in that story, particularly with them being ousted from the Bray area by Taka after a legal battle. But effectively, what you've got there is a company that kind of built up a portfolio through a number of, um, you know, pretty successful and well-timed deals. And it looks like Kistos is effectively just trying to replicate what they did with Rockrose. Indeed, you know, I think Austin, he brought in some of the Rockrose management in too. So looking at this deal, um, you can see why Serica might call it opportunistic. Uh, Gas prices in Europe are much higher than the UK. Uh, Serica, you've got the North Egg Exploration Well, which is just spotted, and I think they're targeting something in the region of 60 million barrels of oil equivalent, which is sizable for the North Sea. Uh, exploration, of course, always with a pinch of salt. 
And, and yeah, I don't, I don't know Andrew Austin or Mitch Flegg uh, personally. Um, I've interviewed the latter, the CEO of Serica, a few times. Um, yeah, I don't know their mentality or how they're thinking about this, but there, there does seem to be a lot of, on the paper, uh, complementary elements to their, their businesses there, to their, their individual strengths. Would the two of them work well together? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I don't see Andrew Austin necessarily staying on if he's not um, top dog. Uh, and that's my guess based on what we've seen from him. But they could be... Um, Hell, they could be they could be a powerhouse. They could be a real power couple. I don't know, but we'll we'll see how it plays out. So it looks like they they've both made bids for each other. Mm. Uh, how, how does that do they do they get to vote at the same time? Would there be a, a, a chance that both sets of shareholders could approve the deal and they just t- both swap at the same time? Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess. The stage we're at right now, as we record, um, I think is they've made um, proposals effectively, mm, okay. and on uh, and yeah, I think I think there is you know there, there's decisions to be made by shareholders, but I think under UK takeover rules, at this stage, both firms have until I think about August 9th to announce either firm intent to make a formal offer. Or to say no, we won't do that on both sides. Uh, it is a bit strange having the bids and counter bids, and and you know at risk of getting beyond my depth here, I probably already am. Um, you know, but I believe that's where we stand uh, in terms of whether or not there'll be a formal a formal offer and and, and what needs to be done. I, I think based on on previous experience of things like this, we've had kind of similar situations with a company like Deltic Energy. I think they rejected a takeover bid from somebody a couple of years ago. Uh, IOG as well. Uh, Rock Rose made a bid for them in 2019. Um, you know, t- typically what we've seen in the past is, you know, companies have, have come out and made their decision in advance of those kind of deadlines. Um, but yeah, I mean, shareholders right now are being told to take no action. You know, um, it probably is a good combo. I think, I think both firms are... Uh, acknowledging that, uh, at least, it's just a question of of how do they go about it. Um, you know, uh, as I said, it kind of reminded me of Rockrose, uh, Austin's previous vehicle, trying to co- acquire IOG in, in 2019. There was some similar arguments there. Um, IOG had argued, you're undervaluing us, and they managed to eventually prevent Rockrose from doing a takeover. Um some differences there. Rockrose at the time had argued that IOG would find it difficult to raise cash for their projects, which was, was certainly not the case for Serica. And IOG uh, has indeed managed to raise, raise cash for their projects. And, and they've got, I think they had two first gases this year. But yeah, no, it's, it's a good combo. I, well, it looks like it could be a good combo. It looks like, um, you know, it, it looks like uh, the, the there seems to be something in the management in terms of these talks, uh, you know, supporting it. Uh, and from what you kind of see from the sentiment of shareholders online, it's kind of like, I don't care, just show me the money kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. I, I would want to guess whether or not it will actually happen. Um, but yeah, I think I think you can see the complementary aspects there. Um, you know, it, Kistos do have a little bit of, um, they, they've shared, they have uh, stakes in some uh, decent assets. They've got, they've just this week acquired um, 20% of the, Greater Lagan area, which is west of Shetland, operated by, by Total Energies, quite a prolific uh, area. And they also have uh, bits and bobs here and there. Their, their maiden acquisition was for uh, 
uh, tulip oil in the Netherlands, I believe, uh, last year as well. So they, they, they are bringing a bit to the table. Um, clearly, they are wanting to build up their, their asset base. Uh, and yeah, we'll just have to see how it plays out. Uh, are they mainly North Sea focused, both companies? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so Serica, Serica is uh, pretty much entirely North Sea. Um, they had some assets in Namibia uh, for a time. I was going to say, like, I mean, they must possibly be kicking themselves now that they've been those two big uh, discoveries offshore Namibia. There's a point where you're like, Ooh. I have to assume, yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think I think you're right there, probably. It's, um, and, you know, uh, the, the what they've said in the past is, you know, we need to do a deal. We know we need, we need to do a deal or we want to do a deal. Um, but they've kind of said in the past, we want to do that in the UK. Um, and what they said rather interestingly in a, a trading update, I think just a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, the the, hot, the volatile oil, oil and gas prices, um, the windfall tax situation in the UK is actually making things difficult for an M&A deal. And we are now, you know, increasingly looking outside the UK. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of kicking themselves uh, into, you know, with, with Namibia, perhaps. Um, but that I, I suppose that doesn't necessarily mean that they're just looking in you know, uh, it could be Europe that they're looking at, for example. They've not said where exactly they're looking, but, you know, again, you know, you've got those discoveries in Namibia, so perhaps they are kicking themselves. Kistos, Kistos, uh, yeah, Kistos is, is North Sea and Europe, uh, effectively, and they have talked about clean clean uh, or low-carbon um, energy. Serica, I mean, look, I think I think their, their portfolio is like 80% gas-weighted, very little um liquids so uh, in terms of a, a relatively clean portfolio a profitable portfolio in in the north sea uh, you can see why that would be quite a, a an attractive uh, acquisition target for them uh, it's a question of i think for serica at least finding the right price you, you you mentioned the windfall tax does that make uh deals i mean does that does that i mean obviously there are, there it seems quite complicated about the ways in which you get kind of credit for spending money right does, do, you, do you get credit for buying other companies or is it just for sort of drilling wells is that is that right have we got the right others in the uh, well you're probably probably be loads of people asking the same questions uh no i don't think so um uh, as far as i'm aware uh, the the windfall tax the the incentives linked to that only apply to uh yeah new spending on on kind of new projects i don't i don't believe any kind of m&a incentives are going on there you might be able to make an argument for that i suppose um <laughs> if, if you could say oh we're going to lead to x y and z happening uh, new drilling and that i don't know i doubt it though um but yeah i mean look the, there'll be certain there are certain new projects that that might be in at serica's hopper um that will get the benefits of this uh, investment incentive i think it's something like 91 pence back for every pound you spend uh, so that's quite attractive for things like exploration or development drilling um but yeah, in terms of M and A, in terms of how this goes uh, with with uh, Kistos, I'm not sure that will that will play a hand. But you know, I I, I can say that, and maybe something will spring up. Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Gosh, uh, it's too complicated as it is. Uh, okay, well, I, I think that's probably uh, enough uh, for now. So thank you all for listening, uh, and it's good to have. You know, avoided another live reaction to a PM resignation or something like that. So well done, us. Um, so yeah, no, thank you to Ed and to Damon for joining me. Damon, enjoy the weather here in the UK. It feels weird to say that uh, unironically. Um, I've been Alistair Thomas, and thanks for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice.
leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Outloud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Outloud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.